Hi, my name is Eric Goodlett. I've been a part of uh, 514 since it was New Albany Church back in uh, 2010. Um, back when we met in the elementary school, when there were three or four rows inside of the big gym divider. Been involved in various ministries, worked with the little kids, keeping babies, uh, helped out with the student ministry a couple different times. Um, originally, I had signed up to be a part of, uh, of a small group, but uh, as life changed, I, I moved away from that. I, I, I kind of put up some walls and, and decided, well, you know, I got to go work on this or I need to do this by myself. And the whole time there, there, were, there was a group of men that were just waiting to help, to be there. Uh, the leader kept calling and he would text, said, hey, let's go get lunch. How are you doing? Uh, check up on me on Sunday mornings. Um, just, j just to try and be there to see what he could do to help. And finally, one day uh, I did show up uh, three years too late. Uh, and that day when I walked through Brian Trosh's door, the group didn't look at me like, oh, you're three years too late. Where have you been? It was with open arms and what can we do for you? How can we be uh, a part of your life? And since that first day walking through the doors, those guys have been there. Warm days, cold days, good days, bad days, those guys have been there. Um, and not just those guys, but members of their family. And it's filled voids in my life. I uh, don't have a lot of family here in town through blood or through marriage or what have you, but now I have family through the church. We've served together, uh, we've helped out brothers, we've helped move, we've helped uh, tear up each other's homes and then rebuild them. Uh, we've laughed a lot, we've cried some. Um, without these guys, life would have been much tougher. You know, we all drive up and down Hamilton Road right now and you've got all these massive barriers and cones and traffic and stuff. And I think we've all at different times experienced what this construction means and what it shows and the relief we feel when they remove all those barriers. They take all the cones down and then you drive down this beautiful, nice big road. And, and that's kind of what this group was. It was like, hey, I'm, I'm traveling down this place and there's pain and there's hurt and there's just, uh, I can't do it all myself. And then once I stepped through those doors, got involved with that group, it's like all those cones, all the barriers were completely moved. And I was like, oh, this is, this is life. This is what's been missing. Here, here's, here's these people that are now walking beside me, walking with me, keep, keeping me on a path and helping me see things so different. And, and it's just, we try so hard to do it all on our own. We think, oh, you know, you know, if I just pray, God's gonna just give me this strength so I can do it by myself. But, you know, we think about it for all that Jesus did, he still had a whole group of guys walking with him. Why shouldn't we do the same thing? Good morning, everybody. Let's give it up for Eric. Uh, he's incredible and we had to, he, he's got words. He's got so much more to say. So you should find him in the hall and say, what else did you say that they had to cut out because we couldn't make it 30 minutes? But he has an incredible story. Um, my name is Carmen, and uh, I'm the ministries director here at 514 Church, and I'm so grateful to be with you guys today. I'm curious if anyone, when you see these things, you begin to have like some type of sweat or reaction happen. Um, I have PTSD from these little babies right there because they probably remind you if you live in the area of the deep misery that one faces right now when driving on Hamilton Road. 
Can I get an amen for that? Mm -hmm. We need to pray about what we do on Hamilton Road because it is hard to be a Christian on that road. I have been tempted many times to not be Christ-like because of how angering that road is. So today, I'm going to be talking about road rage, okay? I'm just kidding. That's not my message. Uh, today, I'm grateful to talk about something that, um, as Bryce mentioned, it's, uh, it's so foundational to our faith and our spiritual growth, and that is the idea of community and connection. And so if you're in the room right now, I am making, uh, I think, a fair assumption that you are here today because at some degree or some level, you have interest or you care about your spiritual life and your faith. And once again, because you are here, I then think it's safe to assume that you care specifically maybe about growth or transformation within your faith and your spiritual life. And community and growth are much more connected than we may assume. In fact, many people uh, who are much, much smarter than me will say that you will not grow as a follower of Jesus, or at least you won't grow as the way God intended unless you are in the context of relationships with other Jesus followers. That you can consume as much content as you'd like and it is uh, more available, it's on every different medium, uh, more so than ever before. But that content can never substitute the growth that comes from relationships with other Jesus followers. And so as a church, we really highly value and prioritize community uh, through something called small groups. And our small groups are exactly what they sound like. They are uh, groups of people who hang out with one another, who share their life with one another, and uh, who also wrestle through faith and ask questions and go through curriculum, uh, all in an effort to grow closer to the uh, person of God. And so today, we are here devoting a whole day to open up the scriptures and talk about community. Uh, so when I see these blocking off a road, a physical reaction goes through my body, and the first one is anger, because I don't know why, they just have a way of really making me angry. And then the second one is most definitely confusion. Because when I see these, I instantly am like, so where, where am I supposed to go? Uh, nothing frustrates me more than when uh, somebody who will go unnamed but is also referred to as my husband, uh, when he uses these four words to try to tell me where to go, north, south, east, and west. <laughs> uh, he will be, you know, kindly trying to help me, I guess. And he's like, well, yeah, so you're just gonna go north, you know, on 270, and then you gotta go west at some point, so it doesn't matter if you take exit, whatever, or whatever, but you need to go west, and then you need to go east a couple blocks, and then if you take, if you go south again, I'm like, what? He just, I mean, that's nothing. That basically was he spoke to, you know, to me in French for the past five minutes. What really frustrates me, though, I mean, this just sends me over the edge, is I think he's trying to be helpful when he says this, but it doesn't sound helpful. He'll then say, well... If you're not sure what I mean when I say north, south, east, and west, uh, do you, like, if you look where the sun is, that might help you. I'm like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, doesn't it? It rises in the east and sets in the west, am I right? Okay, Whew. but I said, well, I, my, my response to that is like, well, what if it's cloudy? <laughs> Or what if it's dark out? Like if I, I that's, that's no helpful frame of reference. Instead, I'm like, if you tell me where I'm going in relation to Target, 
and then you tell me where the next target is. If it's in between there, I am good. I will find my way. Uh, I'm also one of those people that when I see a sign that said road closed ahead, take detour, I don't typically take the detour. Now, this is a ridiculous thing. I've realized this. Because you should just take the detour because that's what it's there for. But I feel like sometimes they don't really mean the road is actually closed ahead. This may not surprise you much. To my dismay, though, I typically I'll drive up to the road that they say is closed. And sure enough, I run into these things right here. (laughs) And it's closed. Um, I, you know, I, I... so badly sometimes want to just push through the barriers and see what's on the other side of them. I have a lot of conversations with people who attend this church and uh, the topic usually is uh, about uh, how they are supposed to be connected to people who go to this church. You know, it's a lot of people here and so they ask the question, how can I get more connected? How can I engage in relationships? How can I meet someone? Or how can I find a face that I can talk to on a Sunday morning? And my answer to their question usually, usually begins with the question and I ask this question, are you in a small group? Are you in a small group? And a lot of times, if the answer is no, they typically refer to one of these barriers right here that stand in the way um, and prevent them from group life. Now, I will agree that there are many reasons not to join a small group, okay? There are many barriers that stand in the way. And I'll even give us that uh, many of them are valid and understandable, okay? But these are, represent, maybe I'll say the five of some of the most common barriers that I think stand in the way and prevent us from getting engaged in a group. Uh, The first barrier I'll talk about is the barrier of priority. So oftentimes, um, we might just have a priority problem. It's, It's not that we're necessarily against groups or we think that they're bad, but usually what we prioritize, we make happen. And so we'll prioritize a book club or a sporting event for our kid or a gym class over a small group. And again, it's not that any of those things are bad. It's simply put that we just don't prioritize a group. And so therefore it stands kind of as a barrier in the way for us. Uh, Another common barrier I hear often is busyness. Busyness, is anyone busy in this room? No, only five of you, stop it. That's not true, you're all busy. Busyness, I mean, we are busier than the generation prior to us who was busier than the generation prior to them. We love being busy. We equate our value with how busy we are. We have no concept of slowing down. We don't know how to do it. And even if we did, to be honest, as a, as a generation, a culture, we really don't value it. And so we, you know, we pride ourselves on our busy schedule. If you want an exercise, go out in the hall and uh, ask someone this phrase. Just say, how are you doing? And I promise you within three sentences or less, they'll share some sentiment. They'll say some words about how busy they are. And so joining a small group, I mean, when we compare it, you know, we hold it up to our calendar at times, it's seemingly impossible. It's like, well, we cannot add one more thing to our, you know, bursting full calendar. And so therefore, a barrier that stands in the way is busyness. Um, Another very common barrier is the barrier of fear, fear. 
Uh, maybe uh, for some of us in the room, we had a really negative past experience, a group experience that went bad. Or maybe there was some type of hurt, uh, relational hurt, something that happened in the context of church. And so you associate you know, getting in a group or a, a heavy relational context in a church around something that was just negative. And so you go, you know what? In order to prevent that from happening, I don't need to see a repeat. I'm just not gonna join a group. And therefore, it stands as a barrier in the way. Another one uh, is, is um, history. History. You know, some of us, um, sorry, did I do those wrong? What does it say behind me? Yeah, history. Some of us have fear of being vulnerable. I switched them. And so uh, fear is a common one because some people don't really want to engage new people. They're scared to talk in front of a group. Uh, Some of us, you know, we go to a group and it's about our faith and we go, ooh, like, I don't know if I have much to say. I don't feel like I'm some biblical expert. And so, you know, as humans, it's very normal that we fear being vulnerable. We fear asking questions. We fear looking stupid. And so fear is another common barrier. And last but not least is the fear of people. (laughs) People, do I need to say anything more? People are hard. Uh, People are difficult, people are tough, people are annoying, okay? It's just the truth. And if you don't think you are one of those people that are any of those words today, I'm letting you know, (laughs) you are. Some of us look at our social circles and we go, gosh, like, I don't think I can add more people to my life because I already have so many people and I don't even feel like I'm a good friend to the people that I call my people, probably because of one of these barriers and therefore adding another group of people in my life who might demand something of me or require something of me, no way. And so therefore, people stand as a barrier. Now, if you're in here right now, I'm sure that I just listed five, we could list as many barriers to group life, right? That's just a few of them, but we have them. And very obviously, these barriers right here, they prevent us from getting to the other side. And so today, I want us to not just focus on the barriers, but I want us to question them Because although none of these are necessarily bad in and of themselves, today I wanna talk about what it looks like to push through the barriers. Because what if they are preventing us? What if they are holding us back from something that is on the other side? And what if it's something that is so foundational and so critical and so imperative to the way that we live and move and breathe that we are not just missing out on something that meets every other week? No, no. We are not experiencing what it means to live as the humans that we were designed and built to become by the God who created us. You know, I I think and truly believe that these barriers right here, although they are seemingly innocent and benign, I think they are one of the enemy's greatest tricks and greatest lies to preventing us from experiencing something that is so tied to our faith. The last thing the enemy wants is for you and I to be a closer image of the image we were created in. But the problem is there are barriers and they absolutely get in our way. My heart today is that as I have spent time prepping for this message and, and reading 
been studying, I've been moved by a way of life that we have drifted so far from. Uh, a life on the other side that we have put up so many walls and so many barriers up against that it is nearly destroying us. Uh, we as humans have never been so lonely. We currently live in the time of a loneliness epidemic. Uh, a global pandemic did not help our stats. In addition to that, this may not come as a surprise, but we as humans, especially in the American society, have also never been so obsessed with ourselves. I mean, we are so selfish. The concept of radical individualism is rampant, and we are so engulfed in it, it is honestly hard to recognize it, but we have been socialized to believe that our own dreams my goals, my dreams, my personal fulfillment takes precedence over the well-being of any group we might be a part of. And so we orient our lives around what we want. And relationally, I mean, when the going gets tough, you know, typically we just run from it. We run from the painful and difficult yet redemptive relationships God has put us in. Why? Because we wanna protect ourselves. As one author states, Joseph Hellerman, who wrote a book about the church as a family, he said this, he said, the tune of radical individualism has been playing in our ears at full volume for decades. We are dancing to the music with gusto and it is costing us dearly. Today, I wanna challenge this church, this family, this room, uh, to look at the cost and take a step towards living a version of life that we were designed of pushing past the barriers because if we look at our original design and if we look at the life that Jesus modeled and then we look at the picture of the early church, I believe we were made for something so different. And if we want to live in the fullest sense as humans on this side of heaven, then we have to realize that we were not built for barriers. We were not built for barriers, but instead, we were built for what's on the other side of them. And so maybe it's time for us to get out of the way, to get out of the way, to remove a barrier or to get ourselves out of the way so that we can experience and step into the life that God has for us. Uh, in order to answer the question, what's over here? What's on the other side? What are we pushing past barriers to get to? I wanna unpack some truth from the scriptures uh, that can help us see what God has for us if we do in fact push past the barriers. And so we don't have to go very far. If we go to page one of the scriptures, the book of Genesis, we open it up. We see the story of creation and we see God's most prized creation. Look around the room, it's humans, right? And so in Genesis 1:27, it says this, so God created human beings or mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Uh, this matters so, so much. John, over the last several weeks, uh, did a series about the Trinity, and so he's been teaching us this magical, wonderful idea. I need to get this marker ready. Now, we make Joel, fun of Joel for his... Um, us, his handwriting, but his spelling is really the problem because my handwriting, I'm not gonna lie, it's not much better, but at least I can spell because you gotta choose simple words, people, okay? So, 
So God created us in the image of himself. So therefore, God has always existed in relationship. John taught us that, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And therefore, that means that we, uh, we, we exist in relationship too. If we are made in the image of a communal God and we are images of that being, then therefore, guess what? We are little images. And we are made for community. God has always existed in relationship. So this means that God created us out of relationship before relationship. This matters so much. We have to understand this. Because what happens is no matter if it's fully healthy or somewhat contrived, every single human, every single human in this room and out there and everywhere, every single one, we have a deep longing, intimate, or longing for intimate, sacrificial connection with others. It isn't that we're just like craving something that's good for us, like vegetables or sleep. No, 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 no. We crave the fundamental reason that we were created. The fundamental reason we were created, connection with others. Author Jenny Allen, she wrote a a really amazing book about community. She puts it this way. She says, we weren't just built for community, but we were built because of it. We were built because of it. We have something at a soul level And it is to be known in an authentic way and that is because of the image of God in us. I think sometimes we either fight against this original design or we just don't see the value in it and we ignore it. It's simply put, it it just is who we are. Oftentimes living in Ohio, um, besides this past week, which was the nicest week I've ever experienced living in Ohio, (laughs) right? Yep. I, f- I get so frustrated with the weather here. And uh, what I have learned is that my frustration, it doesn't change anything. I can get really frustrated and I can yell about it and like talk to people about it at work and they say I care and talk too much about the weather because I do because you know it dictates a lot of what my life is. What do I wear? What do I do? Do I need an umbrella? All this stuff. But it doesn't matter how much I get frustrated with the weather. Guess what? The weather, it is what it is. It just is what it is. And the same goes for community. You know, you can get frustrated that you're built for this. You can get frustrated when you hear that, oh, I have a deep longing for intimate connection with someone else because you're over here going, no, 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 I'm busy. I got barriers. Or you say, no, I'm an individual. This is about me. But it doesn't matter. There is a craving. There is something in us. There's a longing. And it will only be fulfilled through community with God and then community with each other. And so if you look throughout the entire story of scripture, it is impossible not to notice the way in which God moves. Guess what? It's through people. It's through community. Uh, In the Old Testament, he starts with a man named Abraham and he goes to him and he says, Abraham, I'm gonna make you the father of what? Of many nations, many nations. I will make you fruitful. I will make uh, nations of you, kings will come from you, the nation of Israel, a group of people, the bloodline of which Jesus will come through. So the world in which Jesus and his followers lived, oh, it was distinctively strong group culture. A term that describes how a group over the needs of an individual would always be prioritized. And then look at the life of Jesus, right? Jesus organized his entire social life around community, He had a tight-knit group uh, of community called his disciples. There was no such thing as rugged individualism. It it just didn't exist. 
It was the opposite. Instead, Jesus was concerned about creating a new kind of family, a different kind of family, a distinct kind of family. Uh, What you will also not find when you look at the the New Testament um, or the early church is this phrase right here. You actually cannot, oh gosh, you actually cannot find it anywhere in the scriptures. And it's very interesting because we, as Christians, if you've been around uh, church for any bit of time, you've probably said this or you've heard this phrase, personal relationship, that's gonna go right there, or personal relationship with God. How many of you have ever heard this phrase? Personal relationship with God, yeah. It's it's definitely not a bad thing. Let me just say that, because I will not be asked to ever speak again if I tell you that this is a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all. In fact, I believe the opposite about this word. It's great, but the point is, is that even the way in which we talk about our faith has been heavily shaped and molded by the rise of individualism. We talk about it being a personal relationship. We talk about our own faith. And again, this is not bad because this matters a whole lot right there. Um, We are called to private disciplines. We are called to cultivate our own spiritual journey. But the overemphasis that we have put on a personal relationship with God, that's an American Western construction, not a biblical theological construction. Instead, if you look at the scriptures and if the early church looked at this, and if they looked at our barriers, if they looked at our overemphasis on individualism, they would laugh and then they would cry. Because the word that I would use to describe the context of early Christian church and the early Christian community was the word family, family. They did not believe uh, that they were saved only for their relationship with God. They were saved for something and it mattered a whole lot, but a huge part of what they were saved for was a family and it was supposed to be a relationship with others. This is the way that they viewed their faith. When you read the New Testament letters and you look at you know, all the, the passages that Paul wrote, so much of it, over half of the content, is about how to do this, how to exist in relationship, how to get along with each other, um, how, how to you know, function as basically a family. And so the early Christian, when they thought of their faith, they thought of it as heavily communal, heavily that in order to be a Christian, you're not just on your own, no, no, no. It's God and me, but it's me and others because we were created by God. So yes, we have a heavenly father, but God didn't make us to just be a single kid. He said, no, 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 you have brothers and you have sisters in Christ. And that matters so much. So we are saved to be a part of a new community, a distinct community, the family of God. You and I were designed, this room right here, this is the family of God. 
And so that is the way they viewed their faith. Their faith was highly communal. Their lives were shared. Their behaviors were shaped and molded into being that of Christ. And so Paul, in his opening letter uh, to, uh, of Ephesians, he shares something with the people, the community of Jesus followers of Ephesus. And he says something that is so profound and I want it to shape this room today. And I want it to shape the heart of how we view community. I want you to note too how, uh, how, many, how much plural languages Paul uses in this passage. He says this, he says, Ephesians 1 starts out, I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. He says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Look at this next sentence. Even before he made the world, God loved us and he chose us. He loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own what? family, by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. I don't know about you, um, but doesn't it make you feel something knowing that before the world was made, God chose you and he chose me? Like before a single of creation existed before there was anything God chose you he thought about you Eugene Peterson who uh, is the writer and translator of the message version of the of the scripture he says this verse 4 he says long before he God laid down earth's foundations he had us in mind think about being on the mind of God He had us in mind. He had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. The amazing thing is God didn't just choose us to be some random creation with no purpose. John talked last week about how we, even the idea, even the fact that we are created and we are here, it is all grace. But even then, God didn't just create us to be some random creation with no purpose. No, no, no. He chose us to be a part of his family. His family. I'm one of four kids. And um, my oldest sister, she's technically my half-sister. And I say it using those words because it's odd to even talk about her and use the words half-sister. But technically, that is what she is. Um, My mom's first husband was tragically killed on Christmas Eve in a hunting accident. And my mom was three months pregnant with my sister. And so three years later, uh, my mom met my dad, and they got married. And when my mom and dad got married, um, obviously, there was a, you know, toddling little strawberry blonde three-year-old that was a part of the package deal. And so my dad adopted my sister. My dad, he chose her. He said, I'm gonna be your father and you are now my daughter. I don't even remember genuinely like when I had the talk where my parents might've sat me down and said, your sister's actually your half sister because it was never like that. She was my sister. 
just like my other brother and sister. And there was not a day that went by that she was anything except family she was in because she was chosen. And that meant that she was in the family. And so, man, you and I, we're chosen just like that. We are chosen into something that is so significant. We are adopted into the family of God. And so I don't know what your earthly family looks like. Maybe you say, "Mm, it is not a good earthly family. Maybe this is good news. If you're a follower of Jesus, I wanna tell you today that you are a part of like the family of all families. Because the family of God is so significant and it is so profound. And so when Paul reminds the Ephesians that they have been adopted into the family of God through Jesus Christ, oh my gosh, they take that seriously. They don't just think, oh, you know what, Paul, I have barriers. Oh, I know that I've been adopted by the love and the sacrifice of Jesus, but Paul, I am so busy. You should see my Monday night. I just cannot squeeze in a small group. He doesn't, you know, you know, it's ridiculous. The people would never say, oh, well, you know, I just, I don't wanna hang around more people. Or, you know, I don't, I don't know, I kinda had a bad past experience. No, no, this is the family of God. And so they put action and life to those words. They say, if I'm in a family because I've been adopted, I've been brought in by the love of Jesus, then I'm gonna act like a part of a family that is known and recognized by the person who adopted me. And that person is Jesus. There's no possible barrier for the early church that could get in the way of them being identified as a Christian and living it out. And so the family of God Oh, the church, do you know what the church is likened to in the scriptures, the bride of Christ, the bride of Christ. Last night I was at a wedding and the bride, she's the most beautiful person in the room. And we, all of us, we, church, family of God, we are to be the bride of Christ. And the bride of Christ is beautiful because it's made up of a whole bunch of people whose goal on earth should be to emulate and to live and to love like the person of Jesus. And Jesus is loving. Jesus is inclusive. Jesus is for everyone. He is for the sinners. He is for the mess ups. Uh, He is so forgiving. He is honest. He is just. He is generous. And so if you read the New Testament letters, you see the early church was a family on a mission to be like Jesus because that's what they believed being a Christian was all about. They were saved from something, yes, but they were saved into something profound a family. And so loyalty to God was not just lived out through their relationship with God, but instead in the daily expression of loyalty to the family of God. And so it's no surprise, you look at the New Testament letters, the phrase one another, it shows up a hundred times. Why? Well, because those are the behaviors and they matter. Loving one another the sharing with one another, the sacrificing for one another, the breaking bread with one another, the sticking it out for one another, uh, the confronting one another, all of those. This is what characterized and marked the early church. In fact, this is crazy. The expansion of Christianity in the second and third centuries, it's one of the most perplexing issues for scholars who have accredited not the beliefs of Christianity that caused it to boom, but the behaviors 
the way in which the Christian community loved each other and acted towards one another and towards those outside of the church, it is the single most greatest reason why Christianity spread and spread. People wanted to be a part of it. It was the most attractive movement. And so what does all this mean for you? Maybe you go, well, thanks for the little history lesson there. I'm sure people shared. I'm sure people did more together because they didn't have technology, Carmen. They weren't advanced like we are. You know, we've improved so much, but I'm actually not sure that's quite it. Because when we follow Jesus, uh, we are adopted into a new family. And that family and our involvement in that family, it is so tied to our relationship with God, it's really hard to separate the two. And so do we really look at our faith this way? Do we look at our faith this way, a communal act that if we're not together, if we're not sharing life together, if we're not loving one another, is possibly not actually a picture of the way we were designed to experience and live out our faith. Instead, are we just really comfortable putting a bunch of barriers up? I think that um, ultimately we get in the way of something that is just so deeply ingrained in us. I imagine it's like God, he, he made us to be a car. This is a metaphor, please, please don't email me. He made us to be a car and drive on a road and so often we choose to just put up a barrier right in the middle of the road in the way of the family of God that we were created and designed to be a part of. Or we choose maybe the me route, the individual route, and we say, well, I'm not gonna be a car, God, but I'm gonna be a boat. And God looks at us and said, you're gonna be a boat on a road? I mean, I, I guess it is a mode of transportation it is a version of being human, but it is not the way I designed you to be and it is not the way I designed you to live. And so can you get down the road in a boat? I don't know, maybe. Sounds pretty difficult, but you weren't meant to because God didn't build us that way. And can you get down the road with a barrier in the way? Well, certainly, probably, but not easily because you're not designed to. On the other side of barriers, we will experience the very thing that God created us and designed us to experience. Because when you live in relationship with the other images, every single person in here is an image. There is an image of God in every single person. And so if we wanna learn more about God, maybe uh, one of our greatest glimpses of God might just be in the person sitting right next to you who's also on a journey of following God. And so this room right here, I hope we feel this, I hope we understand this, this room is a distinct, purposed, precious family of God. And I sure hope that we don't miss it and we get out of the way. Uh, whenever I'm around my family, specifically my brother, um, he uh, always guilt trips me and asks my husband and I when we're gonna move home. And uh, home for me and my family is Indiana. I grew up in Kokomo, Indiana. Uh, it sounds tropical. It's not, it's not the same as the Beach Boys song. I just want to say that. It's corn fields and a lot of it. Um, I grew up in Kokomo, Indiana. And so my parents are still living there. And, and, and then my brother and then one of my sisters is in West Lafayette. And then another one's in Atlanta. So she also doesn't count like me. But whenever I go home... Uh, my brother, he always guilt trips me, 
always. And he'll choose these moments that are so unfair because it'll be my, my son and his son who are both five years old playing in the yard. And it's like the four and a half seconds that no one's fighting or screaming and the sun is setting. And if Jackie was playing music behind it, it would just be this like moment that would make you cry. And in that very moment, as I'm rocking in the rocking chair next to my brother, he looks at me and he's like, what are you guys waiting on? And he points at my nephew and my son and he goes, isn't this what life is all about? And I'm like, geez, you are good at this. And it gets me because it is, it is, it is, life is about people. And so my husband and I, we... (laughs) we'll let the guilt get to us and we get in the car and we drive our, you know, home. And we have three and a half hours to talk about, well, so, so should we move home? Like, what does that look like? So I, I mean, I would have to quit my job and obviously you'd have to quit your job and just sell the house and the kids and all the stuff they're in and da, 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 da. I mean, we, we try to go through all of it. And you know the thing that is like the thing that keeps us here. Every single time we come back to it. It's our people. Genuinely, it's, it's our community. It's this room right here. Uh, it's the people who sit in tents and circles on the floor, <laughs> leading my three kids in small group every week. It's my small group that's very imperfect. And we need to take Paul's advice when he says, let us not... Uh, you know, forsake the gathering like many are doing. That's, that's me right now. We need to get our butts back together. It's the people who have truly become family who I write on emergency contact list who share no blood with me. It's the people. And, you know, I was thrown into a small group when I was in kindergarten. I was five years old. And if your children are in our kid and student ministries, uh, they also don't have a choice. They're just thrown into community and they will thank us later, okay? Even if they don't like coming to church right now. And I was with the same girls from kindergarten to my senior year of high school. And then I graduated from a very small high school. I went to Indiana University. And I mean, I was, you know, I was a, a fish in a large sea. And you know what the thing I did when I got to college is uh, genuinely, I looked for a small group because I had no idea what it meant to live and exist outside that type of community. And I didn't for a second want to figure it out. And so I found one, I found a small group and I was plugged into that for four years. And I don't know what kind of trouble I could have gotten into without those girls. But man, there are some beautiful and painful and redemptive stories written in those relationships. And then I'm now in you know, a small group here at 514 for nearing 10 years. And we have gone through lots of change and lots of growth and lots of babies. Tons of babies, just too many babies. But I am genuinely afraid to know where I would have been without my just tiny little imperfect version of biblical community that I've been exposed to. I know this, I know this, I know I could have gotten in the way and I'm so thankful I didn't.
I'm so thankful I didn't. And so boots on the ground, what does it look like at 514 if you push past the barriers? What's on the other side if you wanna be formed, you know, out of the individualistic sense and into a follower of Jesus? For us, it's small groups. It's 514 small groups. Small groups are our version of family where we get to practice the one another's. We get to love one another and celebrate one another and care for one another. It is the best place that you will experience all of those things in these little families. And we have groups for every life stage and every age and they meet 16 times a year. That's it, 16 times. Uh, If you do the math and you give three hours at each of those, someone shared this with me in between services, thought it was worth sharing with you. It's only 48 hours, 48 hours of community. And you know, uh, when people tell me it's a bad season for them to be in a group, I genuinely used to be like, yeah, I get it, I understand. But you know, now I wanna ask them if it's a bad season for them to be a Christian. Because that's genuinely how imperative I think it is, how imperative it is to our faith to live as the family of God. And so today, I want us to get out of the way to stop being a barrier, to stop pointing to a barrier that's preventing us from what we're designed to be. And maybe you're in a group in here and you still wrestle with barriers. Maybe you're the person who signed up for the group but never goes to the group. Mm, Emma, she's gonna find you, okay? But today, I really do, I wanna challenge this church to sign up for a group for just one year, one calendar year, 16 times. And you know, it's not going to be perfect because people are not perfect. So either are our groups that are just a full of them. But I will tell you that people make up the hardest and the greatest moments of our lives and I do believe it's worth it. It's really worth it. And so today, let's try it. Let's get out of the way. Will you pray with me? Uh, dear Heavenly Father, um, God, I thank you that you uh, pushed through barriers in order to get to us. That you had every reason and you had every barrier possible um, standing. But God, you, you pushed through every single one because of your deep and beautiful and perfect love for us. And God, right now, I just, I thank you for that. I praise you for that. God, I pray that this room, that we would uh, take a step towards you and understanding that we have something in us that has a deep longing, not only for you, God, but uh, for the people that you created. And I pray, God, that maybe today would be a day that we step towards that and that we find something incredible in that. We feel loved and we feel cared for. Maybe there's something uh, in us, a craving or an itch that finally just, it goes away because we step into the design that we were originally made. God, we love you and we thank you for this day. It's in your son's beautiful name that we pray these things. Amen. 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 Make some noise for Carmen. Come on. That was so good. We weren't made for barriers. We weren't built for barriers. We were built for what's beyond them. I, that is such a profound statement. Um, it's really easy to look at our lives and look at the world today and, and look at how anxious people are and how depressed people are and some of the things that we're struggling with and what if part of the reason why that's running rampant in today's society is because we're neglecting how we were made. 
That is so powerful. Um, I was convicted when Car- what was it? one of the last things Carmen said was, man, is it, it's a bad season to be in a small group. Was it a bad season to be a Christian? And I was, whoo, that hit me different. Um, I just got done leading a group of boys for six to seven years. They're over there. They're now in a new small group because they're in college. Um, and it was seriously a powerful season in our lives. And I just got done and I was like, maybe I'll take a season off or something like that. And then today John wrote on this, like, on this card and it was like, lead a men's group with Bryce. And I was like, well, I guess I'm leading another group. Let's go. Uh, so I'm so excited. So these cards are super, super important. So now is the time to fill these out. Um, we just need a little bit of information from you, your name, your email. You can check if you're already in a group, if you're ready to join a group, ready to lead a group and what your biggest barrier is. And so if, there, if there's like an obvious barrier in your life that's preventing you from experiencing, you know, community in the context of a small group, then like write that on there. Let us know what your barrier is. Uh, We want to pray for you. We want to engage in conversation with you. And even if you're in a small group right now, a lot of times we hold back or we're too afraid to be vulnerable because of some of these barriers that Carmen's talked about. Identify what that barrier is and let us know. And then on your way out, you can drop these into some baskets. Um, We'd love to connect with you about these and help you take your next steps here um, to really engage with community because we believe that, you know, life change happens in small groups. Um, and so if you have any questions about our group life or anything like that or about getting into a small group, our group team will be out in the hallway. That's um, Emma and Jackie. Jackie also wants me to let people know that there are some books on tables. Those aren't for you. <laughs> They're for small group leaders uh, that I guess we're promised. So she told me to let people know. And I walked up here when Carmen was praying. She's like, remind them. I was like, all right, I got you. I got you, Jackie. Um, and if you need bribed a little bit more to join a small group, there's actually snacks out there. Um, dirt pudding. So it kind of goes with the whole construction thing. Carmen is on one about dirt right now. Um, construction, dirt pudding. Her message at Women's Night was called Rooted. I don't know what it is, but she's madly obsessed. So please engage. They're really, really good. Jackie helped make them. Um, and then other than that, I do have um, one more thing, one last uh, announcement. Next Sunday, we are only having one service at 10 a.m. So the early people can sleep in a little. You guys just got to wake up a little bit earlier. It's okay. Uh, we're, we're condensing to one just because it's a busy weekend for a lot of families and for a lot of our volunteers. Um, a lot of people are traveling and they have plans with their families. And so we want to kind of meet you guys where you're at. And so we're just going to push everybody to one service. Let's pack out this house. I just saw an article that was super amazing. It actually, and I don't understand why at first, um, it said, according to Airbnb, Columbus, Ohio is the top travel destination for Labor Day weekend. Um, and then it clicked, you know, the Ohio State Notre Dame football game. So that makes sense. Um, But also, what if, you know, that was just, what if this is a movement of God where he's just trying to get people into this community, into what Columbus has to offer with these amazing churches? And so let's use next week as an opportunity to invite our friends and our family to church. Um, I also hear that the speaker's pretty cool. Shameless plug. It'll be great. 10 a.m. next week here. We'll see you guys next time. questions, want to get connected, have a prayer request, or just need somebody to talk to, you can text the number on the screen. We love you guys. Thanks for watching today, and we'll see you later.